Good morning, everyone. I'm so pleased that we finally get to be with you. It feels like it's been um, just like about a year for us of like transitioning and getting towards um, this moment. And I'm so glad that we get to be with you and get to be with you here today as we look at the Bible together. I wonder, do you have a vision for your life? Do you have a vision for your church? Do you have a vision for this city? Because if we're honest, uh, like vision's taken a bit of a, a beating over the last few years, hasn't it? Trying to look ahead and make plans. Like um, the, the saying goes, the first casualty of war is the plan. And one of the many casualties of the pandemic was vision. Partly because, um, you know, I think most businesses, churches and charities had kind of been getting ready. All of their marketing teams were so excited for launching the 2020 vision and strategy. That was going to be a real gift to everyone. And instead of 2020 vision, it felt like looking through a fog. I remember like nearly every meeting we had finished with, okay, so that's decided then unless it all changes tomorrow. Um, and that kind of like upheaval has kind of carried on into this year. I mean, especially for you guys. I mean, it's a big week last week. You had a, a new prime minister, a new king, and a new vicar. Although the, the last one is probably not quite as important. Um, but as we look towards this next season, vision is going to be key. Because vision helps us keep going when things are tough, but also vision helps us make decisions. And uh, the passage we're going to look at today is fantastic for helping us to receive or to revive a vision for our lives. As we said already, uh, we are Dan and Kate. Uh, we're the new lead pastors here. And we spent the best part of the last decade in Malaysia. Uh, we were part of a, a team helping to plant a church in Kuala Lumpur called Holy Trinity Bukit Bintang, or HTBB. Uh, there's a photo of it here. Uh, we were on top of a shopping uh, centre, uh, very green, though it's kind of a little forest, rainforest in the city. And and uh, if we're honest, though, um, Malaysia was a bit of a curveball for us. Like the vision that Kate and I had for our lives is uh, we'd been living in London. Kate was working as an actress in London. I was training for ordination. And, and we had a vision to go to Manchester. And instead, the Lord called us to Malaysia. So we got the first two letters, right, of Jesus' vision for our life. We thought we were called to the northwest of England. And instead, it was southeast Asia. So we, we learned the importance of, of trying to get Jesus' vision for our lives right. And um, while we were there, we, we saw Jesus do wonderful things. We saw so many people saved, families transformed, churches resourced, and leaders released. And um, today I want to share a word that we received, we were given as we started our time there. And actually, I'd say we started to see the fulfillment of that word uh, as we came to the end of our time there. Um, but also, if I'm honest, this is, this is mine and Kate's kind of like, this is our stake in the ground for what we want to see. We're like, Jesus, this is what we want to see you do here in St. Peter's and beyond. And, and fortunately, more importantly than that, what we see in this passage is that this is what Jesus wants to do in us and through us here and now. So the passage we're going to look at is Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. And it's going to come up on the screen behind me. 
One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the Word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the boat belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signalled to their partners in the other boats and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus called to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their nets on the shore and left everything and followed him. Amen. What I find so encouraging about this story is that Jesus is about to call his team. He's about to get the gang together, but Jesus is already at work. There's this lovely picture. He's at the Sea of Galilee. It's an enormous lake and this crowd are gathering and they're pressing in. They're like, there is something here in this guy that we haven't found elsewhere. We're not sure, but we're going to explore. And so they're pressing in and it's becoming harder and harder to hear. And so Jesus, spotting a little fishing boat, gets into it and pushes out And then the water and the the hills surrounding them create this natural amphitheater, which amplified Jesus's voice. This is his short-term solution. And then Jesus sits down and he teaches from the boat to the crowd what their Father in heaven is like and what following him is like. And so Jesus is already at work. And Kate and I are really conscious. This is like one of our first Sundays here, but it's probably not your first Sunday here. Jesus is already at work. And it has been so encouraging for us to to watch from afar the last 12, 13 years. It's been so encouraging to see all that God has been doing in and amongst you. Here at St. Peter's, but also beyond, like uh, Kate and I, we arrived it was like two, three weeks ago and we used that rare opportunity that pastors don't often get uh, in between churches to visit other churches and to go and see other churches in the city. And, and Jesus is at work there too. We went to a, we went to a church and uh, somebody shared a story. Uh, it was a builder and he'd uh, been injured and he went to the doctors and they said, your, your spine, your lower spine is degenerating. You need to go find a new job. And he was like, well, that's pretty hard when you're in your 60s and you've only ever had one trade. And then somebody laid a hand on him. They prayed for him and he was healed. No more pain. He can do his job. He even did a little dance on stage to prove it. Then we went to, we went to City Coast Church and gosh, what an amazing group of worshippers there. Such passion for Jesus. I'm so grateful that it's not about us. 
Jesus is already at work. He's been here before all of us. He'll be here long after all of us. Jesus doesn't need us, but He delights to use us. Jesus delights to use you. And Jesus' reaction to success and a larger crowd is not to build a bigger platform, but to raise up and to release more leaders. Jesus, seeing the need then, called his team. And Jesus, seeing the needs in Brighton today, calls us. You know, that day he stepped into the boat of Simon Peter. Coincidence? No. Divine appointment? Yes. You are not here by accident today. This is the wonderful news that you are not an accident. Your life is not a mistake. God has a vision for your life. And it's a vision that is more bold, more beautiful than you could ever have imagined. And in a world that is shouting for your attention, in a world of seemingly limitless and therefore overwhelming possibilities, Jesus wants to give you clarity on the vision that He has for your life. So what does his words in this passage teach us about receiving Jesus's vision for our lives? Well, firstly, we see that if Jesus is around, don't let your past dictate your future. Jesus says, let's go fish. And Simon says, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. Simon Peter and his friends are having a no fish moment. We all experience no fish moments, don't we? Like maybe you're in the middle of one now. Like, and it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to go through one, especially if you're going through an, uh, a no fish moment in an area that you normally have and now you don't. These guys are fishermen. They have no fish. Technically, they should probably just be called men. I wonder, what's your no fish moment? Maybe it's a financial no-fish moment. Like, like Simon Peter, it's something to do with your job or lack thereof. Maybe it's a spiritual no-fish moment. You're, you're here today because you want to catch something. Or maybe it's a relational no-fish moment. I know speaking to many of you, letting go of Sam and Archie who've led you and loved you and pastored you over, uh, over, this, over this last decade and, and more, feels like a no-fish moment of letting go. It's really hard, isn't it, to be generous and give people away to serve elsewhere. Or maybe it's not that you're in that moment, but you see one on the horizon. Maybe you're thinking, God hasn't used me up to now, so perhaps He won't use me in the future. But that's not how Jesus works you know, you see it all the way through the Bible. It's the same with every major character. First you get the vision, then you get the trouble, and only after that do you see any kind of fulfilment. I mean, like look at them. Like Joseph, for example, he's promised a palace. The next thing he's in a pit, and then he's a prison. A serious no-fish moment before he ends up being the prime minister. And this isn't just a spiritual rule. This impacts every area of our lives. I mean, this was Simon Peter's job that this lands in for him. A while back, the Harvard Business Review uh, published some research on the, the emotional journey 
that people go through whenever they embark on any kind of new project. You know, you start a new business or you start a new relationship, you start a new essay or you start something creative, anything you do. And what they discovered is the emotional journey is U-shaped. It's explained best by this diagram. And we start any project in uninformed optimism at the top. You're like, this is great, therefore I am great. I am the next Elon Musk. Then you start the project and you end up in informed pessimism. Oh no, this is harder than I thought. Then if you push through, you get to informed optimism of this is going to be okay. And if you keep going, you get to project completed and you feel good about yourself. Now they called, the researchers called the bottom of this valley, the valley of despair. This is the, oh gosh, this is where it's really hard. But the real insight into their research was how much time do you think any project is spent in that valley of despair? Well, actually, what they discovered is over 75%. Over 75% of any project, anything you attempt that's worthwhile doing will be spent in that wrestle, in that challenge of that emotional, oh, this is a lot harder than I expected. And what I find so encouraging about this, especially if I'm in the middle of a no-fish moment, is that you can know that it is normal. It's said that Jesus promises his followers three things. One, that they'd be completely fearless. Two, that they'd be absurdly happy. And three, that they'd be constantly in trouble. If you are in the middle of a no-fish moment, you are in good company. Don't give up. This is not the end of the story. But that's easier said than done, right? And it's easier said than done because the biggest challenge we go through is dealing with ourselves. The biggest no-fish moment we go through is dealing with our own sin, the mistakes, the mess-ups, the word said, the word unsaid, the lack of vision that we have for what God has given us. And you, you might be thinking, "What? Well, I don't think God would use someone like me. Interestingly, that's Simon Peter's reaction. We read that Simon Peter, when he saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. I actually think this is possibly one of the most encouraging verses in the Bible. It means that if God can use people like him, he can use people like me. He can use people like us. Jesus chooses those that others haven't chosen. You know, in Jesus' day, the brightest and the best boys, those were the ones who were chosen by the rabbis to get an education and therefore be the leaders of the communities, uh, the next generation of their community. But those who weren't the brightest or the best or boys, they had to get a job. One of those jobs was becoming a fisherman. In other words, Jesus chose from those who hadn't been chosen by others. In 1994, uh, a friend of ours, Emmy Wilson, uh, walked into Dartmoor Maximum Security Prison. Not, not as a prisoner, I should add. Uh, but to start the first ever Alpha course in a prison. And two of the inmates who came on it were notorious London gangsters, the Emmets. We've got a photo of uh, Michael Emmett. They were father and son, and they had been arrested for attempting the largest ever uh, smuggling of, uh, largest ever shipment of cannabis being smuggled into the UK. 
And they came on that first ever Alpha in a prison and they encountered Jesus and came to faith. Now, the way the prison system worked back then was that these kind of serious criminals, you didn't leave them in one prison for too long because like, they're, they're clever guys, right? If you leave them in one place for too long, they'll end up running the place. And so they got moved from prison to prison to prison. And in each prison that they went, they started another Alpha. And that's how Alpha spread across the prisons in the UK. Jesus chose two men who in the world's eyes were sinful, who were good for nothing else. And he chose them to start something that's gone across the world. Alpha is now running in over 900 prisons in 46 countries. Literally thousands of people have been given the opportunity to have their lives transformed because Jesus chose these two men. Simon Peter's reaction is to say, you've got the wrong guy, to which Jesus just says, don't be afraid. Jesus says to you today, don't be afraid. You know, Jesus looks at you and me and today and says this, and, and the way we can know this is because all the way through this passage, Jesus is speaking to Simon. And as I'm sure you know, later on in their relationship, Jesus renamed Simon to Peter. That, that's what good friends do, right? They give each other nicknames. Uh, and he calls him Peter because he says Peter means rock. And he's like, I'm going to build something on you that's going to last. But Jesus doesn't call Peter. He calls Simon. He doesn't call Peter the great church planter, man of great vision and great leader. He calls Simon. And he calls Simon because he does not call the future you he calls the now you. He calls the now you, not the future you, because he loves the now you. I often think that Jesus loves the future me, the me that when I'm a bit more tidy, a bit more nice and, and clean, but he doesn't love the future you. He loves the now you because there isn't any other you to love. Jesus calls you today. And the reason I think Simon Peter's like, no, go away, is because he thinks Jesus doesn't really know me. And when he finds out who I am, He'll dump me. And Jesus says, don't be afraid because he knows you better than you know you. When Jesus is on the scene, we don't need to let our past dictate our future. The second thing that we learn in receiving a vision from Jesus is to be obedient in the small things. So they go through this major no fish moment and Jesus makes a small ask. He says, can I get in your boat? and speak to people from it. It's like, you know, when you first become a Christian, Jesus doesn't say, you know, go off and do crazy things. He says, just witness for me. When people ask, tell me, tell them what I've done for you. And uh, then he asks his disciples though, to do something a bit strange. He says, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Why is this strange? Well, first of all, it's the daytime. You don't fish in the daytime. Second of all, they've already caught nothing. Their experience says there's no fish. And thirdly, the advice is coming from Jesus. Jesus, rabbi, yes. Carpenter, yes. Fisherman, I don't think so. Like, this is me. Whenever Jesus tells me to do something, I'm like, yeah, but Jesus, you don't get what it's like to be me. You don't know what it's like to be in my shoes. Often following Jesus feels like being asked to fish in the daylight. You know, you want to be free from the worry of money? Well, be generous. You want to be free from anger? Well, then forgive. You want freedom? Well, then obey. 
Those don't seem like the obvious places to go fishing, but Jesus says this is where the life is. And so Peter starts by stating the obvious. Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. Faith doesn't deny the facts, but it looks through the facts to say these next five words. Simon Peter utters five words that change the course of history. Five words that change the course of his life. Five words that as we say them, change the course of our lives. He says, but because you say so. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Jesus uses our no fish moments to lead us into, but because you say so, obedience. And when, he do, when we do that, it starts something. He doesn't ask us to be obedient in the big until we've been obedient in the small. I think of the story here of, of, of the work of Safe Haven. When the church was restarted 13 years ago, um, uh, the team knew there was two things they wanted to do, to run Alpha and to meet the needs of the city. And one of the obvious needs is, is those experiencing homelessness. And so on the first weekend of February 2010, 20, uh, a team got together, they cooked food at home and in the hall just over there, they opened up the doors and 24 people came in and were served dinner. And then they did it again the next week and 36 people came and then 49 and then 63. And then over the years, they've continued in that and there's not stats for every year, but we reckon a probably low ball estimate is over 117,000 meals have been served as we start serving in the small, as we start being obedient in the little things, Jesus gives us larger and larger things to obey him in. Where is Jesus asking you to let down your nets? And one of the simplest ways we do, as Kate's invited us to do already, is to invite people on Alpha. I'd love to encourage you all to be thinking, who could I invite to this next term? Who would Jesus have me invite? But again, like, it's scary, right? Because they might say, they might say no. There's the risk, like the disciples, of looking silly, of fishing in the daylight. There's the risk of pulling up an empty net. And even worse, it's strange, right? Jesus says, put out into deep water. It's like, I was like, push out into deep water so you can sink my boat there. No thanks. Like, and as I thought about it, it's, it's not because he likes to watch us flounder. It's because he wants to give us space to grow. That word for deep water there is bathos. And it's only used a few times in the New Testament. One time it's used of a plant putting down a deep root. In other words, he puts us in a deep space because then we've got space to grow. And that's challenging, but it's in that place we discover another use of that word deep, how deep the Father's love is for us. It's uncomfortable, but actually you don't really grow from what you already know. And Jesus pushes us out into those uncomfortable spaces because it's there that we receive his expansive vision for our life. How do we know that his vision is better than our vision? Well, this is because of the third thing that we learn about receiving his vision for our life. Be open to new possibilities. The disciples are thinking in a box. They're fishing in a box, really. They're, they're fishing and they're saying, we caught no fish 
and therefore there are no fish. And Jesus says, there's lots of fish. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. In other words, Jesus uses our no fish moments to lead us into, but because you say so obedience, which results in boat sinking abundance. But to receive that, we have to be willing to let go of our small visions for our life. What is he asking you to let go of today? I think this is why like, um, Jesus gives Simon Peter this ridiculous catch of fish. Up to this point, Peter's vision for his life is to be a really, really great fisherman. That, that's it. That's the vision for his life. And Jesus is like, you want to be an obscenely, absurdly, wildly successful fisherman? Okay, here's what that looks like. Satisfied? Mm, yeah, I didn't think so. The Holy Spirit loves to show us the end from the beginning so that we don't waste our lives chasing something that isn't fulfilling. Where are you fishing in your life for where the fish isn't? And Jesus is saying, try over here. See, Jesus is the one to go to to make sure that you don't sell yourself short. His vision for your life is enormous. How big? Well, well, there's no limit because all of this is grace. Look, never at any point in any Gospels do any disciples catch any fish without the help of Jesus. None, zero, zilch. And this isn't a spiritual thing. This is literally their job. They are fishermen or men. Like we are only able to do what we do by the grace of God. But because it's the grace of God, there is no limit to what He can ask of us and there is no limit to what He can do through us. Jesus says, let go of your small vision of who you think you are becoming. But it's risky, huh? How do we know that it's gonna be worthwhile? Well, one way is to look to the cross. The story of the cross is Jesus being abandoned by his friends and his followers. He goes through a serious no fish moment, which takes him to the, but because you say so, obedience of not my will, but yours. And he dies on a cross. But the story doesn't finish there. And three days later, he rose again. And the resurrection of Jesus makes boat sinking abundance look like loose change. And the cross that Jesus did for you means that what God did for Jesus at the cross and in the resurrection means that he also wants to do in your life today as we die to love our neighbour, but also at the end of our lives. When we die, we will rise again. But also the other way we can know that he will do it is because, well, he is. Like if you look at the global church, you'll see that this is what God is doing. Like we in the West, we in the UK, we're the odd ones out. The church around the world is experiencing boat sinking abundance. And literally there are so many examples, but, but just one example from our sort of network uh, and our sort of uh, part of the family. Um, 54% of people who do Alpha, every year, now do it in Asia Pacific. What does that look like? Well, if you took every church 
in our family of churches that has been planted over the last, I think it's 20 years, is 145 churches. And if you took all of the congregations of all of those churches across the UK and you add them all together, that's how many people do Alpha in Asia every month. I.e. the tool of Alpha is enabling the church to add the entirety of the HDB network to the kingdom of God every month. And that's just one tool. There are so many church planting and church resourcing uh, movements in the world. The global church is experiencing boat sinking abundance. We are missing out. And I want you to feel the FOMO of that and then turn that into prayer and action. Because the good news is you are primed to receive it. Kay and I have been here a few weeks and in the first few weeks when we landed, it was like God was giving us an insight into who you guys are. We just kept having so many random, encouraging conversations with people outside of this church, people who probably never come to this church. You were just like, yeah, St. Peter's, during the pandemic, you guys were a lifeline to us. Do you know what? As a church, you did not waste Brighton's no fish moment. You were out there serving people, giving to people, listening to people. You were busy with, but because you say so, obedience. And I think this is going to be a season of reaping what you've spent the last few years sowing. This is the season to let down our nets and be expectant and positioning ourselves for boat sinking abundance. The most important thing that Simon Peter caught that day was a vision for his life. A vision that begins to be fulfilled three years later when he stands up on the day of Pentecost and tells the crowd about his friend Jesus and 3,000 people are saved. And now, 2,000 years later, nearly over a third of the world follow Jesus indirectly because of that one man's but because you say so obedience. We want in on that for Brighton. The Holy Spirit is up for it. Are we? Amen? Why don't we stand? And as we say, it's all by grace. And we encounter that grace through God's Holy Spirit. So let's invite the Holy Spirit to come and fill us afresh. You might like to open out your hands as a sign to say, Jesus, send your Spirit, come and fill me. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we love you. We love who you are and what you do and the way that you do it. And I ask that you would come, fill your people afresh now. Come Holy Spirit, we wait.